Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992 here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Iscove. I am your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting in for your regular host, somebody who wrote a column about what happened in this movie and the uh, Wall Street Journal as like challenged for views. Um, oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that that was a thing. No, uh, listen. Yeah, listen, nobody yeah. this movie's fictional to be clear this did not happen but i was watching I it mean, being like if this was written about in a newspaper today people would be writing about matt damon having to leave whatever this boarding school is and being like oh for Ooh, sure it's yeah, a cancel sure. culture story isn't yeah. it really a cancel culture story <laughs> uh and that voice you hear is michael hobbs with us today uh to talk about school ties he's the co-host of maintenance phase and if looks could kill thank you so much for being here today michael uh thanks for having me so I don't believe any of us had seen this film prior to recording this episode. Am I correct in that assessment, Michael? Had you seen this film? Uh, no, and it is not good. It is no. like, it is, I immediately upon finishing it, I was like, I am really going to struggle to talk about this movie for an hour because it's like, it's not, it's, it, it's, it's like, it's just not interesting. There's nothing like, it's, it's not. not even bad in like an interesting, like critiqueable way. It's just like kind of, it's just so forgettable. It's strange that like, I agree with you 100%. I'll also say that it weirdly does have a bit of a footprint. Like, I do feel as though it's a movie that, and most of it, I think, is because of they cast the all the boys. They cast the all the boys, boys in Hollywood. Yeah. The cast is banging. That's the only thing you can say about this movie. Like, they nailed yeah. it on the casting. They but... did. It's, it's really strange, too, because I remember 
I first of all didn't I mean until recently didn't know this film was about anti-Semitism. I just yeah, thought it was just a boarding school movie. Yeah, somehow like, I knew this. Okay. As the one person as like the one person I, I did not meet a Jewish person until I was had left college, until I was in my twenties. So somehow I knew this movie was about <laughs> Yeah. You're the first <laughs> Jewish person I've met, Phil. Um <laughs> This is, uh, uh, I somehow knew this movie was about how anti-Semitism is bad, but like, and it sure. is like kind of about that, but it's mostly about like cheating. I don't know. It's, you know, as I was watching it, I was thinking about, for the first thing that came to mind is Emily notoriously dislikes uh, boarding school movies. Hmm. So I figured, as, out, I figured as, out why too. Go ahead. Oh, great. Great. Um, and as I play on this about 15 minutes in, I was like, oh man, this is, Emily's really not going to like this one. Like this is all of the boarding school tropes, just <laughs> all dialed up to 11. And none of them are particularly interesting. It's like someone took Dead Poets Society and removed all the interesting stuff. And instead you're just left with like weird kind of like, oh, they cheated and white people are assholes like I, I don't know it's it's wait what are the what are the tropes that you hate about boarding school movies emily what how does this I personify got, them i gotta yeah. say ted poet mm. society uh i was never a huge fan of but every boarding school movie i watch in 1992 i bump it up a half star because i'm like well it's better than this <laughs> yeah that's what i was saying i also do not like that movie and i also like it a lot more having seen school ties <laughs> I mean, I think Scent of a Woman's better than this movie, wouldn't you? Yeah, I actually, actually, yes. I, I have it ranked lower than Scent of a Woman on my 1992 rankings. I just, I mean, if some of it is like, I, I did not grow up in this world. This is the thing I talk about a lot. But like, I have, there's two kinds of people uh, who interact with a lot of people who went to like Ivy League schools. There are people who did not themselves. Uh, there are people who buy into the fascination around them. And there are people who just sort of get very angrily uh dismissive of that and i'm one of the latter i'm just like same. i don't understand why we care about any of Hard this this same. is so stupid but watching this movie made me realize okay boarding schools are a thing i just cannot relate to but then we saw the scene where they met all the girls from the girls boarding school and i was like oh well listen i could i could fuck with like hanging out with a bunch of girls and we all have like adventures with homoerotic undertones that sure. would be great wonderful i think hmm. it's just that these movies Did they are make that movie? Has that movie been made? They made some girl boarding school school movies. Mona Lisa Smile is about college, but kind of has that. Mona Lisa Smile is the only movie that is simultaneously too gay and not gay enough. It's just so strange. I mean, there is Lost and Delirious, which I think I texted to you, which is a good movie, which is also about college, though. So I don't think that that's a boarding school. Yeah. It is interesting how, like, boy boarding school movies are a thing. Were they a thing before Dead Poet Society? Was that the one that kind of everyone was like, oh, we should just keep doing this? I I don't I, I don't know enough about Border I Spoilers. think that this all stems from the book A Separate Piece, which had a movie made of it, but is very okay. much like interesting. Yeah, it's this classic book, uh, especially among the boomers, um, mm. that uh, is set in a boarding school and is about like confronting prejudice and stuff. Sure, so. this I is also like why people like submarine movies. Yes, <laughs> the same. They fail. I was thinking the only movie that fails the Bechdel test more spectacularly than School Ties is like Crimson Tide. <laughs> like <laughs> that's the only October. category that's worse <laughs> on this measure. Listen, I, yeah, I think there should be a movie about a bunch of girls in December. <laughs> Would watch. Hell yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't you writing that, Emily? Yeah, uh, because I'm on strike. But oh, uh, sorry, I forgot. I forgot. Listen, I know that we can't talk about it in front of Michael, who's the yeah. head of who's the head of artisan entertainment. I don't. Yeah, know. I'm in charge of ending the writer's studio. strike. I've decided not to. I just want. Oh, that to that's be cool. Very that's cool. clear. You should have put that in the intro. 
it does feel like boarding school movies have evolved into like murder mysteries. Like I do feel like there's mm. a fair amount of books and television shows about like a murder happens at a boarding school, um, which is fine. I have, I have no problem with that trope, but this movie more than anything, just sort of, it's sort of about class to mm. some degree, like the haves and have nots. Um, but it doesn't really examine that in any really interesting way. It's just sort of like, we don't like this guy because he doesn't have money and we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the, 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 like when I was thinking of like my notes of like how to yeah. fix this movie, I would, I, I was thinking like the main character should have like a personality of some kind or like a noticeable flaw or like, I don't even need him to have an arc, but it's just, he's like this perfect person. And he's just like, super cool all the time and then everyone else is just like a rabid anti-semite and just like i mean his flaw is shouting Jewish, slurs Michael. and there's like a fucking swastika flag and it's just like i like it's 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 it, it falls into this weird category i think like mona lisa smile of this like mm. ideological pornography where all mm. you're doing is like look how far we've come mm-hmm. look how bad anti-semitism yes. was and look how anti-semitic we were and like Okay, but, like, this movie doesn't say anything all that interesting about anti-Semitism. I don't think that I, like, learned anything about how anti-Semitism operated. I would also argue uh, the current state of America, we might not have learned as much as we think yeah, we've maybe learned about we... anti-Semitism. <laughs> maybe it's not a look how far we've come <laughs> movie <laughs> necessarily anymore. Like, the years post-Cold War, mm. um, I, t- I talk about this a lot in my writing, that is sort of this end of history cinema. Sure. You know, people are like... Uh, a book that Michael is now acquainted with, Francis Fukuyama's The End of History, people were like sort of taking that idea and making movies out of it. Like, we have won. Capitalism has won. Liberalism has won. We're fine. Everything's great. And then like the movies were like, well, is that all there is? You know, I think The Matrix is the one of those movies that's endured because it ends up having a lot more going on than that. But like, there's also this attitude in 90s cinema of a lot of these movies that are like, well, we've defeated prejudice right. once and for all. Right. And it's and if you talk to anybody who was not like a white straight guy, they would be like, actually, no, I don't know if that's true. But the movies were like, nope, anti-Semitism is gone. We got yeah. rid of it. Yeah. Goodbye. It's really interesting because like I was watching last night um, the Jane Fonda HBO documentary, Jane Fonda and Five Acts, which I'd never seen before. Um, this will tie in in a second. And and I was watching the whole portion of the whole Vietnam thing with her. Right. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking about the, you know, the various rulings that have happened in the Supreme Court over the last uh, week or so. Right. And how there's this moment sort of in the 60s where this country is really radically moving right like doing all sorts of things in terms of feminism in terms of uh you know in terms of race in terms of all sorts of things and emily is totally right that in the 90s you have this stream of movies where it's like well we did it right like it's it's all fixed it's all great and now it just feels like there's a, a large portion of this country that wants to take us back to the 50s like literally rewind all of the things that existed which is why it's interesting to watch this film to some degree through that context of like <clears throat> the rise in anti-Semitism that's going on right now. This movie's no good. I'm not riding for this movie. But it did make me sort of think about how, you know, being a Jewish person was never a thing for most of my life that I was at all concerned about. Mm-hmm. I had one weird moment of... I grew up in, in Toronto, Michael, so, you know, as you can imagine, Canada doesn't have as much rampant issues as there are here. But as someone etched a swastika into my locker in junior high, 
Really? Holy it's shit. A we- it's a weird thing. Um, never found out who the person was. Immediately went to the principal. They immediately, you know, fixed it and never thought of, really ever thought about it again. Um, so there is sort of this, and and then in sort of the, the wake of Trump's uh, election, this rise in all of it just made me go like, oh, so there's a whole like subsect of this country that's been biting its tongue for yeah 40 or 50 years and is now just like eager to start, you know, piling Hitler again. It's very interesting to me. I don't, I don't, I don't really know where it comes from. Like there's ignorance and then there's just like generational bias right. that is just sort of fascinating. Well, also one thing that I thought this movie got so wrong yeah. is like the, for the first two thirds, the most interesting character is Matt Damon, who's <laughs> like a rich kid who like his brother's like a big football star. And he's like, I'm never going to measure up. I'm not that smart, but like my parents have all these like, expectations of me. And it's like kind of interesting. And then the minute he finds out that Brendan Fraser is Jewish, he just becomes this like snarling anti-Semite, like yelling yeah. slurs. Yeah. And it's like, okay, but like that's, that's the kind of anti-Semitism and prejudice that almost everyone nominally can say is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Even like racists will be like, oh, it's bad to use the N-word, right? Yeah. That's like the easy kind of prejudice. And so it's like, yeah. it's like it didn't say anything interesting about how this played out. And it, it, the, the writing, it's like, because, you know, I guess it was Dick Wolf who wrote it or did the it story is, or whatever. It has this fascinating. like- this weird like one dimensionality where it's like it doesn't seem like he like knows all that much about the period it's like he's reconstructing it from like other 50s movies that he's watched and like well he, this did happen to him this is somewhat autobiographical weird wait really i didn't yeah. i didn't come across that okay to some dick degree wolf's the fablements it's this is dick wolf's fablements no i mean i i think that to some degree this is pulled from but i mean the, the, to your point michael like this feels so whitewashed by a studio as well like it doesn't feel yeah. as though it's really insightful or digging into any of this right um, but yeah well i was thinking the only thing that would have made this movie kind of have a reason to exist because the whole movie i was like why why are we making this movie basically like anti-semitism is bad is like the moral of it which like yeah. okay yeah. but yeah. i don't know that that like super duper like needs to have yeah. a whole movie built around it in 1992 but it's like if it was like explicitly biographical, I think you could get like more nuance out of it. And if it was trying to be a parallel, like I was watching this with another gay male friend of mine and we were thinking of like, if they were doing this movie about like how homophobia works in schools and like, we're, we're really going to draw the parallel. Like look how bad anti-Semitism is. There's this other form of prejudice that is around now. And like, we might be making the same mistakes. That would have been kind of interesting. I mean, it also probably would have been clunky, but it's like that at least would have given this movie a reason to exist. But it's like the movie now is just like this made up story about like this extremely likable, like Mary Sue Jewish guy and how everyone is terrible to him, like openly terrible to him for being Jewish. And it's just like, yeah, that's really bad. I don't. I... <laughs> it, it feels it. It feels like an after-school special is ultimately what. Yeah, it's it, yeah, that's It just it just doesn't have anything particularly deep to say, and it's really just. I mean, and it, it, I would also say like this movie doesn't make a lot of money either, right? Like this movie is sort of you have to ask yourself like it didn't have a big budget either. It, it made fourteen million dollars on an eighteen million dollar budget. Like that's mm. not really much of it's kind of a wash, but it's still like $18 million in 1992 was not nothing, but you do have to ask yourself, like, how did this, who, who wanted this movie? To yeah. Get 
Yeah. Um, which is just kind of fascinating. You, I don't know the answer to that. But yeah. Do you think Dick Wolf thinks that teenage Dick Wolf looked like Brendan Fraser? Because <laughs> I actually, I have to disagree with that. <laughs> well, the other, that's, I mean, the Brendan Fraser thing is interesting to unpack for a second too, because it's like, in 92, he has two films. He has this and he has Encino Man, um, which we have covered. Uh, I would argue uh, he's better in Encino Man. He has, uh, he has a character to play in Encino Man, yeah, as weird as that, that sounds. He's not that good in this movie. It's weird. A lot, like, it, I like him. I do, but too. He, he doesn't he's watchable. Yeah. I mean, like, he's a watchable. He's, as is the case with movie stars, right, where you're just like, I will watch this person. Um, and he does have a star quality to him, but the role is, you feel the weight a little bit of him just being like, I know this is important. Yeah. And I know that I should be doing something with this, but I, there's just not much for me to do. Um, but it's, it is interesting. I mean, we'll talk the, the cast of this in terms of the bench of this cast, uh, Chris O'Donnell, Matt Damon, Cole Hauser, Ben Affleck, Anthony Rapp. I mean, it's a pretty crazy bench of, of young. Yeah. Actors. It's wild. Yeah. It um, also has yeah. the, my favorite trope about high school movies, especially from the nineties is obviously all the actors that they cast are like 25, 28, right? Like they want to get sort of adults, right? But yes. then all of the extras they're pulling are actual high school kids, yep. but it creates this weird visual dissonance where it's these like obvious adults with like receding hairlines and like normal adult <laughs> shit. And then in the background, there's just like visibly 15 year olds. And you're like, this is what 15 year olds look like. Wait, and like, this incredible. is what 28 year olds look like. Did you not go to high schools where there were like people who seem suspiciously older than you having more interesting <laughs> problems than you all the time? Well, the scene that, uh, that I would argue maybe the most kind of glaring to me is the, the shower scene uh, where they have like this, this fight, which I mean is, is is the only other one I can think of is uh, is uh, Eastern Promises in terms of, uh, of mm. the, <laughs> the a naked shower fight. But like, as you said, these are all fully grown 20 something men with like, you know, cut butt. Like these are yeah. you know, good looking guys. They and they're bodies. men. Yeah, they're dope bodies. Uh, and you're just like, these aren't fucking teenagers. Like in what world yeah. could this possibly be teenagers? A lot of 16 year olds like aren't shaving yet. Like, if people are at different, like, developmental yes, stages totally. at this time. And Brendan and... Fraser looks, like, considerably older than everyone around him, right? Yeah, it's he's funny because he's a tall guy. He's 24 when this is yeah. filmed, yeah. but he looks probably 28 or something. Yeah. And yeah. the whole movie, I mean, at least he kind of matches the look of the other. It's like, sure. okay, these people are all in their late 20s, fine. But, yeah, I also – I like other gay men on the internet, I've seen gifs of the shower scene from school. Sure, time. Like, this sure, is like sure. the only other thing. And then I realized that like gifs are the perfect way to watch this scene because <laughs> the actual scene is just like Matt Damon yelling slurs. Of Brendan Fraser. <laughs> it's ultimately like a really ugly scene, but like it's in my really head, because I knew, I knew literally nothing about this movie. I didn't know if it was a comedy or a drama or a horror movie. I knew nothing going in. And all I know is that, like, a couple little glimpses from the shower scene, and then I'm like, oh, the context of the shower scene makes the gifts, like, a lot less fun. A lot less sexy, I'd say. Yeah, a lot. It's not really doing it for me anymore. <laughs> I So the, I, I did want to sort of um, talk about, like, the Matt Damon arc in terms mm. of the fact that, like, mm. he, even with this um, substantive role, like, he's in this movie for, you know, this is a, a big role. Yeah. He kind of doesn't really 
do I mean Courage Under Fire is in 96. So that's like four years later. He's kind of still in the wilderness, which I think is kind of interesting. That's actually really um, weird. Yeah, for somebody so conventionally attractive too at that age. Right. I think and, they just and, like suck him up and put him in everything. You would think. And it's it's really Courage Under Fire, um, where he plays this uh soldier who's sort of a PTSD and he notoriously lost all this weight and he's he's very good in that movie um and and still like truthfully like rainmaker goodwill hunting is in 97 so like it's it's still not easy Hmm. in terms of his his trajectory which is a little fascinating to your point i think he would have just popped but what i think is fascinating is the actor who gets the biggest boost out of this movie is chris o'donnell who's barely in this movie like he's in it obviously but he doesn't really have a lot to do and he's the nice he's of the actors he's you know he's certainly a, a fine enough actor but he's not matt damon he's not yeah. brendan fraser he doesn't have that that star yeah. quality it's so weird it's so weird it's did you guys forget that he existed when i when i saw his name in the thing i was like oh chris o'donnell because i haven't seen him in anything since batman and robin mike michael you don't watch ncis la every week <laughs> <laughs> you ever watched the 14 seasons of NCIS Los Angeles? He's on, okay, I was, uh, during, you guys are going to think I'm lying, but during the movie, I was like, he seems like someone who would be on, like, some weird CBS show now that you've <laughs> never heard of, but, like, has, is, like, the third highest rated show on TV. You got it. Like, he seems like he would be in that particular wilderness at this point. It is I, uh... interesting, because he's in, he's in Sense of a Woman later this year as well. and oh, right, and. Yeah. So he plays the the you know the kid in that. But to your point, Emily, I'm sort of like you could have put Matt Damon in that role too. Yeah, sure. when I when I was uh, uh, running the AV Club TV section, I had to sort of keep abreast of everything on television. And NCIS LA, there's a lot of uh, weird fanfic written about LL Cool J and Chris O'Donnell. Uh, not mm. not weird, and you know, there LL you Cool J is another person I have not thought about. <laughs> Like 10 years. <laughs> NCIS LA is where people go for Michael to forget about them. Like yeah. that's <laughs> and make boatloads of money on syndication. They're doing so well. They're all yeah. so rich. They're so rich. He, I mean, it's interesting because Chris O'Donnell, we talked about this a little bit on uh, our Central Woman episode, but Chris O'Donnell kind of pops off of obviously the Batman movies, right? And then he kind of disappears. And then his resurgence is his arc on Grey's Anatomy, where he plays the, oh. the hunky veterinarian that she falls in love with. Okay. Um, and that's when he ever was like, oh, Chris O'Donnell, where have you been? And then he yeah. gets 15 I, years on the I will say Instagram. Teenage Emily, if the boys of this movie, Teenage Emily, the one she thought was cute was Chris O'Donnell. I don't know why that was. That's interesting. But like, I thought that he was just such an interesting, like, like a man yeah. that's sort of like a wall. I don't know. That's what <laughs> I wanted. I guess not Ben Affleck, the only one who no. gets shirtless. It seems no, you know. Well, I, I hadn't seen this movie, so maybe it would have changed right. if I had. But like right. you, uh, like looking at them now, I'm like Brendan Fraser's so much more your type as an adult. But like at the right. time, I was just like, I think because Chris O'Donnell was so non-threatening, and like I was, you know, oh, kind of scared. Sweet. Yeah. He's kind of scared of my queerness. And I was like, Chris O'Donnell, if he rejected me when I tried to kiss him, he would just be like, "There, there, it's okay, yeah. you're fine." <laughs> yeah, just pat me on the head adult mike had a huge crush on like the troubled the troubled guy who like fails the french test but that's more about his personality oh. than his looks i'm like <laughs> oh he's sad <laughs> that's that's, that's all it takes for me this is the thing you know 
that sort of taps into something else as I was watching this from I was like, I don't care if this kid does well in fucking French. Yeah. I don't care if this kid gets into fucking Princeton because his dad got into Princeton. Like, this is such a stakeless movie is the problem. Yeah, it's too. hard. Like, I know. I don't give a fuck about these people. They're all, first of all, they all hate Jews. So like immediately I'm just like, yeah. I really don't care what happens to you people. But then it's also just like, I'm supposed to feel sorry for your you know, rich white people problems. Like, it's just really... It's yeah, it's really hard to get invested in this movie. I, <laughs> yeah, the just... only reason I had to watch this with a friend because I, I, I have a second screening problem, mm-hmm. like compulsively mm-hmm. checking my phone during movies, and then I like basically check out of them. Sure. So like sure. the only way I can get like through a movie now is to have a friend there who will keep me off my phone. Uh-huh. And like, yeah, if my friend was not there, I would have. I would have been phoning hard by like minute 10. (laughs) We, uh, we had to reschedule this recording for a variety of reasons. And like, I, uh, watched this. So I watched this movie over a week ago and I woke up this morning and was like, do I remember school? That was my thing this morning too. Same thing. I was like, I'm glad I have my notes. I'm glad I have this in front of me because otherwise I probably wouldn't remember a lot about it, but I do want to give just a little bit of a synopsis for our listeners who might not have seen school ties. Uh, when David Green played by Brendan Fraser receives a football scholarship to a prestigious prep school in the 1950s he feels pressure to hide the fact that he's jewish from his classmates and teachers fearing they may be anti-semitic he quickly becomes the big man on campus thanks to his football skills but when his jewish background is discovered his worst fears are realized and his friends turn on him with violent threats and public ridicule school ties opened on september 18th 1992 against sneakers captain ron singles husbands and wives and the mighty ducks sneakers uh, by far the best movie from the 90s i'm saying it there. ranked one for sneakers. me I've never seen it. And yeah, everybody who comes on is like, sneakers fucking rules. And I'm you like, cannot believe. Sneakers. You cannot, like, fathom yeah. how good that movie is. It's it also aged really t- well, too. It aged so well. Just a, a stellar cast, a deep yeah. bench of great actors, and also, like, weirdly prescient about yeah. what we live it's in It's got, today. like, an online dating joke that's, like, a <laughs> yeah. major plot point. It's, like, an online dating thing. It's, it's so good. good. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, School Ties has 60% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 69 from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars, which is insane. Uh, School Ties Gosh. is surprisingly effective. The movie opens with a hometown scene that I found cartoonish as David fights the leaders of a motorcycle gang, but then becomes perceptive and unforgiving. It is not simply honest about anti-Semitism, but about the way that bigotry can do harm harm by inspiring dishonesty sure i don't know bigotry's bad you guys bigotry's bad breaking news bigotry's bad but also like do you think that so the the third act of this movie is all about don't cheat and you know cheating's bad (laughs) don't do Uh, it don't do it stop cheating but then it also sort of becomes its own like uh, 12 angry man (laughs) the the end of this movie is so fucking weird structurally it's like let's let's spend the crescendo of this movie with five characters who we don't know and haven't like had any personality before this point and then like one of them is just like a huge rabid anti-semite and then another one like is kind of secretly like good and doesn't tell them this extremely obvious and like important piece of information for no reason he's like i know who cheats but i'm just gonna not tell anyone that for no like as an 18 year old this makes no sense but it's like that whole sequence where they're like debating, like, did the Jew cheat or the non-Jew yeah. cheat? Yeah. I'm just like, who are these people? Why am I watching these people? And like the the protagonist and antagonist of the film are literally sitting outside and just like staring at each other meaningfully mm-hmm. for like 15 hours or something. It doesn't really get into like, did they have lunch? It's like, what's going on? It's That's... also sort of. That's and the it, point when a little homoeroticism would have saved the movie. If they were sure. like, just like, I, you know, if they were just like so overcome with desire for each other, but then also like it's yeah. the 50s, they can't act on it. 
Um, I have a I have a thing. I have a I have a, oh, a thought. Perfect. Yeah, please. Uh this <laughs> you guys are think gonna think that I'm just like selfishly saying this because I'm a gay man, but I do think that like some sort of fight or like wrestling or something at the end between yes. the protagonist or the antagonist would yes. have made thematic sense. Like they finally like duke it out mm-hmm. and fight, and then like everyone kind of has to pick sides. Yes. But the twelve angry men thing is it's just bizarre that like there's this fifteen minute sequence. Of these the characters we don't too. know. <laughs> I, we were talking, you know, we were talking about submarine movies earlier, and I love submarine movies. And I think it's because submarine movies inherently have homoerotic subtext because oh, yeah. they're all trapped together, they're all sweaty, and they're all just like staring at in each a other. And this yeah. boarding school movie always has the out of, well, we know some girls from another school, yeah, and yeah, we yeah, can yeah. go like hang yeah. out with them. And mm, no, <laughs> I also think that there, and and again. I don't know that this is a good idea, but it's better than what we got. I think football is part of this fucking movie. Like just, you could right. have conceivably had the big game be your goddamn climax yeah. and it would have been more yes. interesting than what you've got. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting or even like, you know, Matt Damon gets the, the quarterback slot because they all hate the Jew or whatever. And he's failing. So the Jew has to come in and save the day, whatever it is. Like there's so many ways in order to make this climax so much more interesting, but Emily, and I think this might be one of the things you don't like about boarding school movies, which is totally valid, which is they seem to get bogged down in the bureaucracy of a yes. boarding school. Yes. Yeah. No one fucking cares. This is, yeah. the, it is the, it is the cinematic equivalent of one of those articles that is, I hate so much that is like, somebody said a mean thing at Yale and I'm like, I don't fucking <laughs> yeah. care. Even if it's a thing I disagree with, I fundamentally do not care if someone says a mean thing at Yale. I've never been there and I hope to never go. <laughs> right or all the consternation about like this person did this thing and they might not get into Yale. Like, okay, <laughs> they have to go to University of Pennsylvania or something. I don't I don't yeah, have a shit? lot of sympathy for these people. Sorry. And it, there's also they all seem to fall back on like these old rules that existed like back in the day yeah. when this school was built in the 1600s we created this fucking declaration of independence or whatever the fuck it is or constitution and we all have to go by these old rules that racists made and i'm just like i don't okay like why no, you yeah. live in the united states of america we do have to abide by some rules that old racists made that's fair <laughs> maybe it's all just an allegory for america guys <laughs> my wife who listens through the wall to this podcast just slacked me how do you feel about Yale, honey. <laughs> <laughs> it's but also I, it's, yeah. it's also the other thing about this movie is like it's not totally predictable, but it the the honor code, it's such fucking Chekhov's honor code. They make such a big yeah. deal about like yeah. this school is based on the honor code. And you're like, all right, there's gonna be a climax involving where someone breaks a fucking honor code. You're like, it's just so telegraphed that like this is what the whole thing is gonna hinge on. hundred percent. I want to ask. I want to ask uh, you both a question, but I, yep. I think I think uh, Phil, because I know you mostly Phil, because I know you love the Fablemans as much as I do. I do. I do. That movie has a lot of very similarly overt anti-Semitism, and that was the one reason I was sort of able to be in school ties. Well, maybe this is like based on an actual because Fablemans is famously based on Steven Spielberg j- during the quarantine. Just sat down with Tony Kushner and was like, "Here's a bunch of weird shit that happened to me." Tony Kushner was like, "You sure you don't want to look at that closer?" And he's like, "No, nah, I'm just going to make a movie." Um, <laughs> want to go to therapy? No, I'm good. No, Let's just make a movie. No, not going to therapy. <laughs> um, the uh, <laughs> now my wife has sent me steven spielberg is to the u of california schools as emily st james is to yale um the uh uh but yeah that like that be your uh, twitter bio that movie has that movie has similarly high school characters 
confronting anti-Semitism, these, these guys being overtly like, you killed Jesus to young Steven Spielberg stand in. And like, it didn't bug me in the way this movie did. And I'm like wondering if that's because I knew it was a true story or I honestly, mm. I think it's because it, they're visibly teenagers and like right. you That's buy teenagers saying edgy bullshit because they've watched too much South Park or whatever in a way that you don't like someone who's 24. You're like, you should have figured this out by now. Right. You know? Yeah. It, it's I, I think ultimately, first of all, the Fablemans, I would say too, like it does deal with anti-Semitism, but it's like not about anti-Semitism, right? Like it's mm -hmm. not like that is not its modus operandi. Yeah. This movie is just like, that's really all it has to say. Yeah. And I, and I would, you know, the way that, I mean, I think that Spielberg handles it relatively deftly in the back half of, mm -hmm. of the Fablemans. Um, but it also seems to be kind of baked into this romance that exists as well. Yeah. And the romance is more important to the story ultimately. Right. Yeah. And, and that he's, and he knows that people are going to be more invested in that ultimately uh, than they're going to be in the anti-Semitism, which is actually an interesting uh, segue to the romance that exists in this film, which I would argue I liked fine. I, I mm -hmm. thought it was, I thought it was certainly a, it was a breath of fresh air from all the other shit that was going on in this film mm. um i there were little details that i let i the balloons in between the kids at the the dance so that they couldn't get too close to each other i thought was like a nice detail yeah that, that was one of the before. only things that kind of felt true and kind of interesting but yes. there's a couple little things peek through where you're like, oh, there's like maybe yeah. an interesting movie that could have been made about this. No, totally. I, I th there is, and I and I have to say too, like the Sally character who's played by this actress Amy Locaine, I believe is the her only name. person not to get famous from this movie. By the well, way, well, did you the read her whole story? No, it, it's so yeah. So I, I I wanted to kind of talk about this because I think it's interesting. So I guess in 2010 she was in a DUI car crash that resulted in the death of a person. Oh God. Which is her blood alcohol level was 0.23%. Like holy shit, bad, no good. And, and a, a tragic story. Um, so she's, she's indicted on aggravated uh, manslaughter. Um, and then she's convicted of vehicular homicide in 2012, 2013. She's sentenced to three years in prison for the crime. No way. Which, which is, it is what it is, right? So she serves. Um, so basically, what happens in 2013, she's sentenced to three years in prison. The judge imposing less than the minimum five year sentence due to mitigating factors that he felt was part of the, her, child, her child's welfare, what have you, right? So she's, she's sentenced, she serves it, but then in 2016, it's ruled that the sentence was too lenient. And she is then tried again for this. Oh, wow. Uh, for all of this, it's ruled that she, uh, in 2017, it's ruled that she, should do an additional six months and then she shouldn't have to go back to prison or whatever the case might be. But then in 2019, uh, she's resentenced to five years behind bars and she has to go back to prison. And this is, and then in 2020, she's sentenced to eight years. Like it all, like it's one of these crazy situations what? where the legal system just keeps like, do you think there's the prison industrial things. complex is broken? Do you think there's like some problems with it? <laughs> I Do you think, think that like... there is, but it was, I was reading this on her, on her Wikipedia page as I was watching the film and just being like, cause I, I thought to myself, like, how come she didn't have a career? Yeah. She's in cry baby. She's in John Waters cry baby. She's in a, she's in a few films and she's good in this movie. Uh, and then she's in like a couple other things and then like disappears and I was like, how come? And I was like, oh, the justice system barely was like. I didn't leave. know the justice system could like extend your sentence, like renewing a Twitch sub. I thought it was They're like just a double like, jeopardy okay, here's another six but... months. Yeah. 
And of course, I'm like, wow, the justice system's broken when it when it affects an attractive white woman. I'm like, mm, yeah. Yeah, that's you took the words right out of my mouth. I was like, someone needs to talk about the attractive white women, finally. But it is it is a fascinating situation. Um, and but this is all a long way of saying that I did think she was good in this movie. Yeah. And I do think that like <clears throat> there's this interesting thing where David selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I guess so so Matt Damon's character has decided that Sally is his quote unquote his girl, right? <laughs> Even though it seems as though she's sort of on the fence about like how really sort of you know into him that also actually felt real and kind of interesting to me of like how his relationship with her is mostly to impress his friends right and he's not he's like ownership quality yeah yeah exactly it's like a he's status seeking among men not necessarily interested in her when this movie is kind of more about the assume the assumptions wasps make about the world versus brendan fraser not just as a Jewish person, but as a person from a lower class background, from a yep. working class town, the assumptions he makes about the world. Like there's something there that you then could bake the anti-Semitism and the classism into in a way that would like make this movie effective. But yeah, the, the movie just doesn't care to do that because it is ultimately beholden to the Wasp's point of view of the world. Right, right. Absolutely. And it, it, it oddly stumbles upon something interesting and then kind of just sort of discards it. But I, I, what I thought was interesting is David goes up to Sally and like just kind of says how pretty she thinks she is, which I found like surprisingly like honest and forthright. Like mm. in situations like that, especially at that time in your life, I feel like you don't have the confidence to do something like that, which I did think kind of made his character pop for a second where I was like, look at this guy. He's actually like wants to, you know, speak his mind. Um, and, and I think that that sort of was an interesting thing. Unfortunately, their relationship falls into the whole like you lied to me by not telling me that you're Jewish and had I known you were Jewish I would never have dated you thing. It's so boring. <laughs> it's like and then boring. she the whole her whole point is like you you lied to me about being Jewish. Yeah. But then she doesn't seem to like acknowledge the fact that there's a very good reason why he would do that that like everyone is hella anti-semitic in this movie. So it's like <laughs> Yeah, of course a guy lied about being part of a group that everyone just openly fucking hates. But then yeah. she's just like, you lied. Yeah. 
And by the way, he never did. He just wasn't forthright about that information, not to get into a, you know, a semantic. Yeah, but that here, was also some libertarian. But... That was him being a little libertarian. He's like, I never technically lied. I never said it. it's like, <laughs> it's no, little... I mean, fair, fair enough. This, <laughs> yeah. this, this being a Dick Wolf uh, program, they should, he should have brought in Sam Waterston to be like, now, are you sure that that counts as a lie? Oh God, uh, Sam Waterston. I've been watching the newsroom and Sam Waterston in that. Why shows. are you watching the newsroom still? Oh, still. That's a whole podcast. You guys could do a whole episode of the newsroom. Just melt down about how like sanctimonious it is. That would be it's, I mean, I'm not. I'm not writing for the newsroom. Just saying. Uh, I I did think that she was. I thought she was interesting. I I I think that like Sally when she breaks up with her and it's like, but all my friends are saying that it's like it, all of this seems to be the same shit, which is that yeah. when you're in high school, we're all fucking like, you know, lemmings and we all don't want to like, you know, ruin our friendships. So we all kind of say the same. And I'm just like, really? Like, as does it go as far as anti-Semitism that you're like that much of a lemming? But I guess back in the day. But see, maybe- again, that would be kind of more interesting. I also think this is the problem with like, like 90% of movies that feature romances is that we never actually get a reason why these people like each other other than thinking that each other are hot and so it's like you don't really if if they had a connection that Mm -hmm. transcended all this stuff Mm -hmm. then you could sort of like see it as this tragic thing or like i really am in love with you but my parents are anti-semitic and i can't see you anymore like you could have a sort of a layered depiction but it's like she just kind of thinks you're hot and you think she's hot and there's lots of hot people in the world so it's hard to sort of see this as like a grand tragedy like i had no emotional investment in this because she's just gonna find some other hot and they're just hormonal fucking teenagers on top yeah. of everything else. Or it's like there's no, there's no anyway. That's where the the homophobia parallel could have helped this movie. You know, yeah. it, it probably still would have been clunky. But being like, and in 1992, it's much easier to imagine everybody in the school, you know, calling you slurs because you're gay. Yeah. You know, than it is, you know, at that time to imagine the sort of rolling ball of anti-Semitism. So, like, yeah, I I think. I'm just mad that as queer people, we didn't get far enough along in the acceptance by society to have our school ties. That's like set in the 90s. And everyone is like, you know, and we're like, well, we've come so far since then. Instead, we were like, we've come so far since then. Better immediately start pulling that back. Thanks. The only way we're going to get that movie now is if there's a superhero or like a Mattel toy in it somehow. (laughs) We need the the IP tie. They have have been trying to make the Stretch Armstrong movie for a long time. What if Stretch Armstrong is the school ties of queer phobia? What if we just do that? <laughs> I I do think it's worth. Uh, I want to talk about Ben Affleck for a quick second, who is in this film, doesn't really have much of a role. I think he's got like maybe five or six lines, but yeah. he's in it. And I think it's probably the first time that people like saw him, saw him. Because um, the next movie is uh, Days and Confused in 93, when he. Oh, yeah. By the way, which like, he's good in. He's very good in and looks totally different. Yeah, yeah that's funny. Like I keep forgetting aged, like, he's in that years. movie because he doesn't seem very Ben Affleck y. Right, he plays this asshole. He plays O'Banion, who's just like this kid who wants to beat the shit out of younger kids and whatever. Um, and he's great, but he seems like an adult in Days and Confused, which is only a year later. Like he has a crazy growth spurt and like yeah, just turns into a much bigger person. Um, and then it's Mallrats, and then it's Chasing Amy in '97, and Goodwill Hunting in '97, and then you know off to the races. Bring me back for the Chasing Amy episode, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, right. that movie that's gonna be a long one does not age well rich text it rich text it, it, don't you think it's interesting though how chasing amy for the longest time and might still be for the record the movie that everyone's like 
that's Kevin Smith's good one. That, that's that, <laughs> that's, that's at least one. that's at least his interesting one. Like you could still watch that and dissect it Dogmas in a way. Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's interesting oh, okay. in that it's like his own weird psycho, sh- like psychodrama stuff. Yeah, and like it's yeah. really him dealing with his own shit. It's like a New York Times op-ed. Like, There's this like is you really processing sh- some shit and turning it into something that you're showing to other people. And there speaking is of the a... op-ed component, he, his characters just go on these diatribes, it, which is yeah, sort of his thing. But like, rants. it's so this is just about being gay. Yeah. There's a really fascinating recent documentary that I sadly can't remember. The, I think it's called Chasing Chasing Amy. It's the director. <laughs> the director basically while making it. I don't know their pronouns offhand, so I'm going to use um, generic ones. The, they uh, they confront their gender identity because they're like, I love oh, Chasing Amy so much, and huh. I related <laughs> to the Ben Affleck character. What is that? And it's just like this. And they interviewed Kevin Smith. They interviewed a bunch of people. from. It's a fascinating documentary and uh, uh, that uh, people should check out. I think it's – I think – first of all, I will check that out. And I, I think that the the reason that Chasing Amy has sort of continues to be the one that everyone's like, well, he's really kind of, you know, investigating some stuff. Because, like, there is stuff. ideas yeah. in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the idea that, like, even just, like, the end of the, the whole threesome thing at the end where he's like, this is the best way for me to deal with my love for both of you is for us to all have a threesome is, like, such a rudimentary idea of... of I, I like forgot that that's Kevin Smith's E2 Mama Tambien. Like, I forgot <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> but it is, though. It's so crazy. Like, that movie's... Oh, my God. It's it is, I mean, that's actually kind of self-aware about, like, the way that, like, straight dudes deal with this shit in, like, the most <laughs> cringe and clunky way possible. But it's not clear to me that Kevin Smith knows that. In that <laughs> not at all. Certainly not in 97. My... <laughs> I I kind I do kind of want to talk about modern day Ben Affleck because I think he's yeah, such a yeah, weird, yeah. compelling figure in our pop culture. Yeah. My favorite movie review of all time is my personal trainer. My personal trainer sees everything, is okay. totally not online, so he sees no discourse. He's like a real. He's Sounds like a. Glorious. He's got. He's got a smart film take, but I never know what he's going to say. He saw the last duel, and his review of it was pretty good movie. Boy, that Ben Affleck, I don't know what I think about him. And I was like, Ben Affleck has been around for 30 years at this point. Yeah. Like, to not have a take on him is wild. At and this also, point he's in great in The Last Duel. He's, he's maybe great the best in thing it. in the it's, Yeah. It's just like him being like, mm, I'm not sure how I feel about, but I feel like I, at the same time, that taps into something where I feel like none of us is entirely sure how we feel about Ben Affleck at any given time. It is. Yeah. His career is fascinating in a bunch of ways, in the sense that he's, he's had a bunch of get it a jail free cards, right? Where it's like where his career has just absolutely, you know, just bottomed out or everyone's just like, I'm done with this guy. And then he just gets another go and he gets another chance. And, and there's also the whole, like, and this fits into the Matt Damon thing too, which is Boston bros, man. Yeah. <laughs> like there, there's something there too, where like both these guys, cause like, I'm sure we all remember the, project Greenlight fiasco with with matt damon when he oh, yeah. stepped in it with all that stuff and i just i and somehow these guys just navigate these landmines and find ways to just back into our hearts back into america's heart it's amazing boston I, is I, another thing i don't care about go ahead michael yeah, i think there's i <clears throat> i think that maybe the only celebrity like resilient celebrity who has been in more bad movies than ben affleck is angelina jolie who to my knowledge has never been in a good movie but remains like a huge celebrity and i feel like Uh, so much of it 
this is maybe i mean i don't have her filmography in front of me but it's like yeah she she's in like almost exclusively like deeply mediocre movies she is but i'm pulling it up just i think the sort of quote-unquote like I, I know this was not his choice, but like the the savvy thing that happened to his career was he became like a paparazzi figure, and I think well, the, the fact J-Lo that he was thing, in yeah. fucking Us Weekly every week solidifies yep. him in your head as like this is a celebrity. Like this this person doesn't lose their celebrity status just by not doing the thing that celebrities are supposed to do, which is like being in good movies. And like it's it, I, I think that's a big part of his really. I think that's a big part of his resiliency and also the fact that he seems to be like a genuinely very good like writer and director. He just cannot pick movies yeah. to act in to save his life. He's bad at, at his own at picking performances. Yeah. I do think just just to piggyback on what you were saying in terms of the celebrity of it all, he also dated a lot of celebrities, right? Yeah. Like he had and whereas something which is something that Matt Damon didn't really do. Right. Um Matt Damon didn't want to be on the cover of People magazine, it seemed, or yeah. be in various tabloids. Whereas Ben Affleck, it seemed he did want that. Matt Damon just married some lady he fell in love with like a chump and they're still together. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> it's, this is true. It's true. But I just it's like it's the Gwyneth Paltrow thing. It's you yeah. know, it's then the 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 uh jennifer lopez then jennifer garner like it's it's just there's all these things and also obviously his struggles it seems with various vices he's um, uh, you know. I, yeah, but that is really true like every time i think i'm kind of done with ben affleck there's like a thing where they photograph him standing on the beach staring mournfully into the distance yeah. i'm like i still love this guy and you just juggling D- dunkin donuts coffees and yeah. you just say the word same out loud so <laughs> any paparazzi photo of ben affleck but also, like, The Town is, like, honestly one of my favorite movies. Yep. Like, that's a yep. great movie. It's really smartly written. It's really yep. smartly directed. Like, that movie whips ass, and he's great in that movie. I mean, Gone Baby Gone is a well-directed movie. Yeah, Gone like, Baby Gone is really good. He's a good director. He's a, He is an intelligent person. Yeah. You know, I don't love when people go on Bill Maher. I'm not a fan of Bill Maher, but oh, I do feel God, like Ben Affleck's Maher. the type of guy who goes on there and goes toe-to-toe with him yeah. in a sense that, like, you know, you actually get the impression that he has a brain. But it, it's just – he's the funny thing is I learned recently, like this week, that um, – he was actually the second choice for Gone Girl, which I find shocking because it feels like that's a oh, role that Ben Affleck was first? Born, John Hamm. Oh, okay. I think I believe my understanding is that when Reese Witherspoon optioned the book, she wanted to star in it, and they were like, oh, "We can't okay. have two huge stars in those oh, two roles because that kind of breaks the movie." So it's going to be Reese and John Hamm, and then David Fincher's oh, okay. like talks Reese out of doing it. And they get Rosamund Pike, and they're like, well, now we need a bigger star as the guy. And ben, that is, like, hmm. my favorite Ben Affleck performance. He's so good in that. He's incredible yeah, he's really in that film. And and I that makes absolute sense what you're saying, Emily, because I know that Reese bought the book rights and was the one that, like, was producing it yeah. and wanted to be in it. And she's and that's, all wrong for Amy. To be way. clear, this is just rumors I've heard. I don't know yeah, that these are yeah. true, but I have yeah. heard the rumors. That makes sense. So. <laughs> but the, the John Hamm thing in the Reese, I mean, Reese and John Hamm is all wrong. That movie, I'm not sure, makes a ton of sense. The John Hamm, Rosamund Pike would have been interesting too, for what it's worth. This is all just a long way of saying that I think that Ben Affleck has gone through so many iterations of himself, it seems like, and Gone Girl felt like a moment when he like tapped into who he is in a real way and how people perceive him and how so much of what you guys are both talking about in terms of how his stardom is part of it right like that is it is part of what people love about it i also deeply relate to somebody who can convincingly be unlikable but struggles to be likable 
I think there's there's other actors. I think like maybe Tom Cruise being the most like uh, the pinnacle example of like he can play a dick and someone who you dislike. Like Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise. You're like, yeah, this guy yeah, sucks, yeah, and like yeah. he is like Oscar worthy playing yeah. like kind of a smug dick. But totally. anytime he tries to be an everyman, you're just like, no nah, man, this is not. I, I think he realized that at a certain point, he's like, I'm just gonna play yes. smug dicks from now on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the only time that he found a balance might be Jerry Maguire. I think that I think that Cameron Crowe in that moment sort of understood that there was a way to make him a little bit every man, but also acknowledge the fact that he is some. He's weird... also not really every man in that movie. He's like he's kind of a too he's good a to be true. Though. Yeah, well, he has he... to be at least eight percent sociopath for him <laughs> yeah, to sure, work sure. in any movie. Sure. Yeah, every character needs that. I think honestly, I think it's that Renee Zellweger's in it, and she's kind of keeping him tethered to the to the planet I in a agree. weird way. Yeah, she's so good. So I, I just uh... want to I want to circle back very quickly to the Angelina Jolie thing here because I am looking at her film. <laughs> okay, sorry, you're... Which, no, because I think it's worth. I, I'm not gonna. I'm, not, I'm actually going to agree with you. Is my point because I'm looking at her filmography, and to your point. It is just a a, a bunch of weird movies, movies that either don't really hit. She is a movie star. So people Mm -hmm. go and see Beyond Borders and Taking Lives, I guess. But like, so she wins an Oscar for Girl Interrupted. We've talked about this on our 99 podcast. Undeservedly. I think she's good in that movie. But that nomination is crazy in terms of like, she's up against Catherine Keener and being John Malkovich. Like she's up against people that should have like literally won the Oscar before her. But she wins it because she's fucking Hollywood, quote unquote, royalty, I guess. Um, You know, Gone in 60 Seconds, Lara Croft. Like, it's just, it's a bunch of weird shit. I, I... I'll say the it's movie that mediocre stuff. It's not they're not bad, but they're not that good or that memorable. Like Mr. And Mrs. Smith, which I, I like saw Mr. in the Mrs. theater Smith. and then immediately forgot about. It's like I think that's a fun movie. That yeah. might be my favorite movie of hers, if I'm being completely honest. And that says something. That's bleak. That's her, bleak. Is that, yeah. Honestly, her best movie is one right at the start of her career. She does Gia on she's HBO. Good. And yeah, that's a TV yeah. movie, and she's yeah. good. And it's just she's but good. it's also like everyone was like, look at this exciting new star. And then it kind of just becomes she's just in movies that are like angelina jolie is sure hot and i'm like i agreed but i'm not sure what yeah that is really a lot of it i mean part of it is that she is a very attractive very sort of like but then there's also like it's weird because she was so bankable for a time there yeah where literally she could do anything yeah um i mean i think salt is fine I don't think yeah. it's a great movie, but like that movie made a lot of money because she yeah. was in it. Because she's in what's, it. What's the one where like they bend bullets and stuff? Wanted. I kind of like that oh, one. Yeah. That one's so dumb. I kind of like it. It's kinda real like... dumb. Yeah, and yeah, it's something about like they're they're weavers. They weave like a, yeah. a thing. Of time. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this movie? Anyway, yeah, yeah. that movie's insane. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. Go ahead, no, please. No, please, please go ahead. I before we before we wrap because I don't know what else there is to say about this movie. I do want to talk about how this does seem like it was Oscar bait. It does seem like it this movie was aiming. Like oh yeah. It, uh, the director of this movie, his name oh, is yes, Robert please. Mandel. Yes. He's a guy who does a bunch of stuff in the eighties where it's clear that they're like, this is one of our next great directors. They keep handing him these movies that have like on paper, 
like Oscar worthy, interesting premises. He also weird. He does a lot of movies about race relations in the eighties, which mm-hmm. is so strange. He breaks through with this little indie movie called independence day at a time when indie movies aren't really that common. And like, I've never seen it, but it sounds like the kind of sure. interesting movie that someone sure. would make at that time. And then he does a bunch of movies that are like two kind of mismatched people, but there's like an element. And then this is, it's not only him, but like all the below the line cat people are like, this is who you'd put on an Oscar movie in 1992 the scores by Maurice Jarre who wrote the scores for he wrote the scores for Lawrence of Arabia and like all of David Lean's films this movie flops the next thing Robert Mandel directs and I have my Fox Mulder action figure right here is the the x-files pilot they're like show to they were like so fox saw school ties and was like Mm -hmm. you know who we should have direct our alien pilot the guy who did school ties and he does a couple other movies but he he mostly i have no idea and that's a great pilot that is a like great atmospheric pilot with some amazing like shot choices it really sets up the weird eerie horror and i'm like robert mandel should you have just been making tv shows about aliens all along was that like your your what else did he do after did he do any other pilots he did some other movies. I I'm not touching my computer lest it shut down again. But... Okay, I will, I'll, I'll he's no, he's uh, he's on NCIS Houston now. <laughs> show. I don't know if you guys know it. Oh wow, it's like the fourth most popular. Uh, I am looking America. up his. So okay, he did the pilot of the X Files as you mentioned. Um, he did episodes of just six episodes of Nash Bridges. Uh, he did an episode of The Practice. Um, and he made this, a movie called The Substitute in 96. Remember the, yeah. the Tom Berenger? The, yeah. The, the, yeah. He, he, he keeps yeah. making these movies that feel like they're going to be important yeah. and then just aren't. They're... This movie does have like TV pilot written all over it. The only it like action scenes or whatever are the, are the football scenes and they're yeah. terribly directed. It's like handheld shaky cam it's like all of a sudden i'm in like doug a doug lyman movie like okay but it's totally fucking incoherent and then we get back to the talking scenes which is 90 mm-hmm. percent of the movie and it's just like yeah shoulder to shoulder over the whatever like he's yeah. not doing anything visually interesting with this it he, feels like I'll, they just like quickie directed it i agree i i also feel like what i kind of wish i had more of was like <laughs> real camaraderie between these guys yeah. like it doesn't Say what you will about Dead Poets Society. Like, I do think that Peter Weir created a situation where, like, all these guys kind of pop in different ways and they all feel like they're friends. And they're, it, it would have gone so far in terms of selling me on the slow burn, which is fucking slow. Like, we do not get the anti Semitism until like an hour into this movie. Yeah, it's movie's like an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. It's so, like, it's, like, tar. it's <laughs> it goes on. The inciting for a long incident time. is like two thirds of the way into the movie. <laughs> Listen, okay, so we're going to argue about Tar. We're going to argue about Tar, a great American film of of our our time. I hated it so much. I know you did. (laughs) I I watched it with the same friend that I watched this with, and we were both just like struck, like stricken watching the screen. Like, is anything going to happen at any point? I mean, that is amazing. (laughs) I mean, I I love Tar, as Emily obviously loves Tar, but. I do think that my my point more than anything was had they built in an element of camaraderie with these guys and I felt like I had an investment in their friendship when it was then revealed to me that they're all anti-Semitic assholes, it would have been a little bit more of a gut punch. Whereas with this, I'm just like, I don't care about these kids. But the the thing, the thing about Dead Poets Society that makes it work. And again, it's not a movie I love, but like it works better than this is that it's about a teacher 
And the teacher, the inspiring teacher movie is a subgenre that exists independently of boarding schools. So you can like, there are stakes to the Robin Williams character in that movie. You know, he can lose his job. It's not huge stakes, but they are like life changing stakes. Mm -hmm. And there just aren't when you make a movie about boarding school students, because I know Matt Damon's going to be fucking fine. They're going to write about him in a newspaper and be like, Hmm, he spoke up for his values and he was, he was kicked out of school. Yeah, I, I I do just very briefly want to talk about Brendan Fraser for a second here. We talked about him a little bit on obviously on Encino Man, but it's worth talking about it just in the sense that like he's in two movies. Two very movies, handsome. He's in, very handsome. He's a handsome one. guy. He's very handsome. Yeah. He's very handsome in this. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, maybe not. Know. Michael's not not on. The they're all kind board. of blandly handsome to me. Every every they're all so That's interchangeable true. in this movie. They're very bland. Matt Brendan Fraser becomes more handsome when they let him be goofy in the latter right. half of the 90s like that's when i'm like yeah, yeah. now we're cooking with no, gas I agree. he's and that's why like encino man taps into that and i encino man and school ties in 92 you would think like this guy is on a trajectory and there really isn't anything in 94 he's in with honors which is an ensemble piece airheads is also an ensemble piece mm. um you know he really doesn't he gets really stuck and i feel for the guy he's like mrs winterborn uh is you know what i mean the scout <laughs> It's really grim. He's in Gods and Monsters in 98, which is a great movie, and he's very good in it. Um, And that kind of gives him a little bit of juice, because in 99, Blast from the Past, The Mummy, Dudley Do-Right. When's George George of the Jungle? George of the Jungle is 97. That is before I think that's when he, I think that's kind of when he, because that was when I noticed him. Because that was like, that that was like Hollywood finally being like, let's, yeah. That's when I noticed this gentleman. Uh, (laughs) Just the upper, the upper quarter to, to third of this yes, gentleman yeah yes. uh because uh, that's when hollywood is like why don't we do more encino mans with this guy and that's when he takes off because like yeah. they're do they're letting him be silly i i absolutely agree he does that for a bit and then you know ultimately uh it's the mummy makes a lot of money off the mummy monkey bone which is terrible um and then he kind of disappears for a while he peers in crash um, you know, he oh does God, a bunch. I forgot everything about that movie. I've now blocked out of my head. As you so, should. Yeah, you should memory hole the I fuck guess. out of that movie. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he's he, he does another mummy movie in 2008. Somehow, like, physically is able to do that. Um, and he kind of just truly disappears until the whale. <laughs> like, it's, it's you know, which, I mean, he's in No Sudden Move. He's in, um, he's in that uh, he did Danny a bunch Boyle of TV, thing. right? Yeah. Yeah, he's in the Danny Boyle Trust which is about the um because you know no one saw but he showed up to tca in a big cowboy hat and that was like one of my favorite things to ever happen i just was like look at this man in a cowboy hat my queer awakening came just months later and i'm not even kidding (laughs) but wasn't he like sexually assaulted and like had some injuries and so he couldn't work out anymore and so he gained weight and people were like unbelievably shitty to him about the Mm, fact that he gained weight and then he became this weird sort of like figure of scorn and then he's had this like now allegedly triumphant comeback but he's in like the most fat phobic movie imaginable so it's like really hard to root for him at this point but like he seems like a nice guy and i you know i want good things for this nice guy but that movie is like indefensible is he oppenheimer is he he's not he's in killers of the flower moon Oh, okay. Um, that's, yeah, oh, that's okay. what I was thinking. I was, uh, well, there's two movies that every actor is in, and that was the one. Those are the two movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, he's, 
I totally agree with you, Michael, that like, first and foremost, it should be said, yes, there was this whole sexual assault thing. There was this whole Golden Globes fiasco and all awful. Um, and, and people like kind of took, didn't take him seriously. Or also, took his side is, in it yeah, either. Yeah. Which is, which is like the, they kind of took yeah. the Golden Globes side in this whole yeah, situation. Up, which is, yeah. um, And then to your point, Emily, the mummy movies destroyed literally destroyed him physically like it was he talks about how the last mummy movie was like popsicle sticks and glue like he was barely fucking yeah. keeping it together um and then it's as you said emily you know there's just sort of this everyone kind of mocks him and kind of he's put in this box and then ultimately i would argue it's kind of it's a mixture of the fx show trust and also soderbergh gives him a pretty meaty role in no sudden move which is a good movie that kind of just got dumped during the pandemic um and then the whale in theory i am all about this guy getting another chance in his career mm -hmm. but the movie is just impossible to, to root for yeah he, i can root for but the movie is just impossible to root for worst movie i saw last year i think he's fine in it like yeah. i'm glad he has an oscar i cannot believe it's for that yeah you know? it's bleak it's really bleak like rewarding <laughs> this kind of movie as well just like as a category of movie totally agree yeah, it's also very it's very palpable to me that all three of us are desperate to talk about anything other than school time. <laughs> oh, well, there's, I mean, there's first of all, like, there's not that much. Ben to talk Affleck, about. Tar, give yeah. me, give me Whatever anything. It is. I mean, we've we've talked this about fucking school movie. ties. I do want to just uh, as we wrap this up, we do a, a rating on this uh, podcast: zero to ninety-nine. Zero being the lowest, obviously ninety-nine being the highest. I came into this podcast at a thirty-five for this movie. I think that that's okay. maybe even being generous, but that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, what would you give this film, Emily? Well, the queer phobia scale, uh, which is a one to 10, one being the least queer phobia or like one being actively like queer positive and 10 being just like the most queer phobic uh, basic, just to give you a sense of where it lands, basic instinct, a movie that thinks that lesbians are murderers got an eight, but with an enthusiastic thumbs up because lesbians are murderers and it's great um, is uh, I'm going to give this a seven, not because there's like overt queer phobia, but because it is literally just like, oh, these guys would have just, these guys are just the worst and they are obviously, and also it should have had boys kissing there should have been some boys kissing yeah. even just as a subplot sure. and they just ignore that uh actually yeah. rating some looks of longing I yeah would, i would have just had i mean that, that, yeah, that give me some been... subtext you guys yeah, come on give me something to ship with this, uh, this is yeah this is like the the most there's no homoeroticism to this movie and it's uh -uh. a real problem uh but uh to actually rate the movie uh i'm going to say uh 26 i liked a couple of the actors well enough and robert mandel like occasionally knows where to put a camera during a dialogue sure. scene but sure. uh yeah it's uh not very good the weird thing is, I don't know that I dislike this movie. I just don't <laughs> like it. Like, it's it's competent. Right. It's right. well-structured. The mm -hmm. dialogue is fine. There's nothing so cringe that you're, like, laughing at, sure. like, oh, this is so bad, right? Sure. But, like, it's just not good. It's the absence of good more than the presence of bad that really struck yeah. me of this. It's kind Very of vanilla. quietly competent, yeah. but it's, like... Why does it exist? It just is yeah. like on the scale of like essential versus inessential. It just like didn't need to exist. It didn't need to be I made. Agree. I'm never going to think about it ever again after this conversation. It's there's <laughs> nothing memorable about it. It doesn't say anything interesting. It doesn't set out to say anything interesting. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. It just like didn't need to exist. So I don't on a scale of one to ninety nine. <laughs> it's like does that make it a zero? Does that make it a fifty? Like I I, yeah. I really can't. 
It's Say, such fair. I and think I, for the people who yeah. run our wiki and put down everybody's ratings, definitely yeah. a Michael score is a zero or 50. <laughs> zero to 50. I'm copping out. I'm copping I do out. Wanna, I do want to get your thoughts, perhaps, <clears throat> Michael, on the movie we're covering next week, a movie that maybe you have seen, maybe you haven't seen, don't know. Uh, the film is Honeymoon in Vegas with Nicolas Cage and Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker. Haven't is this seen movie it, you've seen? Honestly, okay. nothing. Do you have, do you I have like thoughts both of on either of them, I guess is my question. Uh, they both seem nice. I don't know. I, I don't really have any. <laughs> <clears throat> they've both been through journeys. I, okay, can I? Real journeys. Can I make a weird, like, 90s comment? Absolutely. <clears throat> One thing that really struck me, so after I watched School Ties, I was like, oh, mm. my God, I have to talk about this fucking movie. What can I say? So I went and I read a bunch of the contemporaneous reviews of it. Mm. I don't know if you guys have noticed this from doing the show and reading other reviews from the 90s. The number of fucking spoilers in mm -hmm. the reviews, mm -hmm. numerous reviews, were like, the film crescendos on, like, an exam cheating scandal where everyone blames the Jewish guy. I'm like, that's a twist in the movie. <laughs> That's like the last thing that happens. It's literally like eight minutes from the end of the movie that you're spoiling in the it's review. Crazy. And like the word, I don't think the word spoiler existed yet. So there's not like spoiler warning, no, it's fact, a, whatever. This is, this is a hobby horse of mine. I, I think you and I have emailed about it before, Michael, actually like spoiler as a concept didn't really exist until the late nineties. Like the, uh, there's an article about the movie star Wars from the year 1976, a year before it came out in the New York times that spoils the entire plot of star Wars. Nobody cared. People what were like, fuck? whatever. Yeah. It's this is okay. Cancellation alert. This is one of the things I've like I've I've really noticed in Roger Ebert's reviews. He does it a lot. Yeah. He does A weird factual errors Correct. and B like super duper spoilies plot descriptions. And it's like at the time, reviews were coming out on the same day the movie released. So ninety-nine percent of people are not going to see the movie before they read the review. And it's like it just is like really baffling to me as a choice. To just, like, say what happens in the last 20 minutes of the movie. I feel like movies, I mean, back when there were dramas, movies used to also spoil the movies hugely in the trailers, too. Yeah. They basically they, give you the entire skeleton too, right? of the plot. Yeah, it's just, like, it's all superhero movies now. So, like, I don't yeah. even know yeah, what, how we're marketing these things. But, yeah. like, a lot of trailers, I remember seeing movies. And, like, I would get interested in the movie when, like, the thing the trailer told me is over. And I remember movies being like, oh, the last like 15 minutes is new to me. But everything people, else. People freak out so much about spoilers in superhero movies. And they're all the same. They all they're all end the same. same way. They yeah. all, <laughs> it doesn't. And literally what they just mean is they don't want to know who's cameoing, which is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> can I tell my Roger Ebert story real please, quickly? Please, please. Do it. I, when I started out in my career, I was on the copy desk at the Press Enterprise of Riverside, California. And I was reading his reviews. They would come in over the wire every week. And so I would read all of them. And he made so many factual errors. I started emailing them to his editor. And eventually oh, wow. I just started emailing Roger Ebert directly because he was like really supportive of young critics and stuff. So like we became like sort of uh, close. But the one I remember is close is a wrong word, but like we, he, he knew who I was is a way to put it. Um, uh, the one I remember vividly is there was some review of, something with Rachel McAdams in it. And he was talking about her role in the hot chick and he got it completely wrong. And so I wrote to him. And of course I was interested in a movie where somebody body swapped with a hot chick for some reason. I, right? I, so I had seen that movie. So I wrote to Roger Ebert and was like, you got this thing wrong about the hot chick. And he was like, you know what? You're right. I'm glad that you've seen the hot chick. So I didn't have to watch it again. <laughs> so, 
That's my. Yeah. I, I don't know why this like implanted in my brain, but I remember his review of Steven Soderbergh's Traffic, mm-hmm. where. Remember, like, Topher Grace gives this, like, really didactic monologue of, like, the war on drugs is bad because, like, it's addiction when rich people do it and when poor people do it, blah, blah, blah. And in the review, he says, like, a black character gives a moving monologue about why the war on drugs is wrong. And I was like, do you not know who gave the monologue? Like, you saw this yesterday. How are you? But it's like every time I read one of his old reviews, he has these, like, massive factual errors, which is, I I guess the editors couldn't correct because they hadn't seen the movies because they were embargoed yet. But it's oftentimes he'll be like, oh, and then they go to Texas, and you're like, they went to Tennessee. Why Why is this in the review? You you find this a lot in all old – because they got to see the movie one time. You know, they yeah. maybe took notes, and then they immediately ran out and just wrote it up. And the editors hadn't seen it, so there was, like, no meaningful way to fact-check them. But it's, just, it's not just Ebert. It's endemic to reviews sure. at that period. Yeah. So yeah. I also wonder as well and, – and, Emily, you can speak to this obviously more than I can – but like when you're a critic and you have to see everything, I imagine that at a certain point, you know what I mean? Very few things pop. Like the yeah. reality is that Roger Ebert in the, in his time was still one of the premier critics because every now and then he would, you know, hone in on 10 movies a year where he would be really articulate and, and super insightful, somewhat yeah. brilliant, insightful yeah. about that film. But then the other 99% of the films that he's yeah, doing, he just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I he's, uh, he's, he's banging him out. He's he's one of the best to have ever done it. And, you yeah. know, if you read just a rant, if you were just randomly selected a review by him, yeah. you know, it's it's you're going to read it and be like, yeah, I guess he's a better <laughs> writer than a lot of people. But like, you know, if you read his review of School Ties, you're not going to get why he was so good. Right. Um, similarly, also, this I've wanted to do uh, like maybe a podcast series or a podcast episode uh-huh. about like the lost debates of like things that people thought about and roger ebert i don't know if anybody remembers this in the 1990s he had this weird fucking crusade that video games were not art yeah he's yeah he had it's that like, right up until his death what, yeah it, it's just the weirdest fucking hill to die on it's like <laughs> such like the perfect boomer thing where it's just like pointless gatekeeping and about a genre of entertainment that you don't understand right he probably couldn't even name five video games but it's just like, okay, this is just this weird stance that you're going to take. And then these poor, like, actual video game developers would try to explain to him, yeah. like, no, this is a creative field. It's just very obvious to me that it is a form of well, art, whatever he, you think about it. He's very old white man get off my lawn about a lot yeah, of things. Yeah. And, and he's also, like, my my biggest pet peeve, and I've read a lot of Roger reviews over the last five or six years as we've done this podcast and the 99 podcast, is that he's a bit of a creep. He's a bit of a uh-huh. creep when it comes to women. Yeah. We're yeah. just like, oh, dude, like, stop being such a lech. Like, I, yeah. I just, it's like, if you read the American Beauty review, and he certainly wasn't the only person to get on the Ooh, American Beauty that, train. I can only imagine how badly the reviews rough. of that age. Because you're just like, Oof. I get it, Roger. You thought Mina Suvari was hot, but like, that's right. not. Okay. I know the movie is cheering us, quote unquote, on in that fucked up way, but like, my God, just yeah, that that to me is sort of like he got lost in those uh, those choppy waters, to say the least. Yeah, him and him and Kevin Smith working through their stuff in the 1990s, <laughs> just working through it, oh inflicting their working through itness on the rest of us. Well, listen, in this very public way. Michael, if you ever want to do a, just a Roger things, Roger Ebert was wrong about podcast. <laughs> I'm there. Let's do it. Oh my Bring god! It. I'll do this great. in five. Let's just keep recording and go into it. Right now. <laughs> I mean, I, have... I can't. I can't wait for our chasing Amy episode. It, you know, 
the, all seven hours of it. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, I mean, that movie is fascinating. I'll just say that. It's an interesting I, relic of a time. Yeah, please. I don't know if you guys are like this, but the stuff that I was into at mm. the time and now cringe about is the stuff that I'm like the most like angry and like worked up about because I was like a huge like Kevin Smith super fan. I saw <gasps> Mall Rats in the theater twice. Oh I had to sneak God. in because wow. I wasn't 18 yet. <sighs> no, really? Like, Mike, what Mike, what were you doing? What what was this? He's, but you you were not alone. I mean he was very much you know he was kind of tip of the spear of the of that indie American movie yeah. moment. Um I mean and it's sad that we don't have that anymore. So, yeah. like, structurally, I'm all for it, but it's, like, the, the movies themselves, my God. The two things I was super into at the time was the television of Joss Whedon and the films of John Lasseter. And neither of those, Ooh, have, you know, that's not a thing I feel. Done. <laughs> They've aged perfectly. What are you They've talking They've aged about? perfectly. Actually, like, the actual movies and, and, like, Buffy are still, like, very good. It's just, like, you have to, like, qualify them when you talk about Absolutely. them, you know? Absolutely. But I do just, think yeah. there's, yeah. There's something so sad about, because J.K. Rowling has done this too, about these communities that form around works of art. And then the artists just like fuck it up for everybody. It's like breaking up. They they end up breaking up these communities with their like stupid bullshit. And it's sort of like, well, now you've made me feel complicated about this thing that I used to love. And like whatever the problems in the actual work are, it's like you've now made me have to do these like 55 like fucking asterisks. Whenever I talk about it, I'm like, not endorsing her personal views, blah, 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 blah. But it's just like, yeah, I just wish, I wish when people made really like canonical works that they would somehow find a way to just go away and log off. The fucking like, thing. Don't give me any more information about yourself. <laughs> the thing about George, the thing about George Lucas is that like he gave away a lot of his money to good causes and now just lives in the woods and is quiet. And every so often people are like, what do you think about star Wars? And he's like, I don't know. I made a lot of money selling it. And you're like, yeah. thanks George. Good for you. Um, I, I'm the thing I feel luckiest about is that I am just young enough to have read all the Harry Potter books when they came out and just old enough to have not made them my whole personality. Yeah. I'm glad I read them. I'm glad I read them. I'm glad I don't care about them that much. Yeah. I don't like need to save them or like keep them this whole perfect thing. If I have kids, I probably wouldn't do the Harry Potter books. I don't know. Other people I know do do the Harry Potter books with their kids. I don't particularly care, but it's like, yeah, I don't have like a deep attachment to them. I never read them. And then no. um, let's right before... read the Harry Potter books on this podcast. Yeah, next no, next podcast, just an audiobook of all the I Harry never Potter read books. them. And then I was tempted to read them um, right before the shit hit the fan with all of her, her nonsense. Uh, and I was like, great. Now I don't have to read them. And I mean, like, yeah. it was just, it was just, it, I it, love it, that you're like, cause that like happened in 2019, 2020, like uh, trans yeah. people knew she was a turf before that, but that was just because sure, of what sure. she liked on Twitter. It was sure. easy for people to tap out of that until a she started moment. Yeah. yeah. And like, uh, it was really right around the pandemic. It's I was so like, funny to me that you were like, should you read all, that's what a time to get into Harry Potter. <laughs> I was like, should I read them? And I have lots of friends that love them. And I was like, maybe I should read them. And then that all happened. I was like, nah, I guess I don't have to read them. I feel like the Joss yeah. Whedon stuff is harder because it's like the actual production of the show is now mm-hmm. the source of the toxicity and not yeah. necessarily like things extra to the show. Yeah. So it's like the, because I also loved Buffy mm-hmm. when I was growing up. I pretended because I was a deeply closeted gay teenager and I pretended like, oh, the Buffy, like she's super hot. I'm watching because like she's so hot. And then even my straight guy friends were like, Dude, no, you're you're watching it because of like the quips. You're come on, we all know the dialogue is what's getting you there. Uh, but then now it's yeah, you look back on it and it's 
clearly was created out of like a deeply toxic environment, which just like makes you feel weird about it now. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, to, to the, the other two, which happened, you know, the, 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 the creators of the other two, the other day, uh, the movie, the, the show, the television show. Um, and I just remember thinking to myself, like in 2023, we're still doing this. Like it's, Wait, what did they do? I didn't even know about those. Emily, do you, you they, like you, uh, you know, they, they, this is, uh, was sort of gossip or like, I had heard it when I was just working in journalism. So it was kind of mm-hmm. like, they are just very, um, they were just very toxic, cruel people, like not mm-hmm. in the when sense they were of, doing SNL, right? Uh, when also on the other two and like the thing about the other two is that it became the text of the show was about these people who desperately wanted to be famous and that turned them into toxic assholes Mm. and the people who sort of told informed this Hollywood reporter piece that came out last week were like yeah that was just the creators of the show they wanted to be famous Mm. but they ended up being stuck as writers and so they became toxic to everyone around them and they had a bunch of HR complaints this is all based on a Hollywood reporter story Um, but yeah it's uh which, which, in you know, not in their defense, but these various HR uh, things did not come to pass. Which is that essentially there was no charges laid, and there wasn't anything that I, that actually came of it. But it's it's sort of a known thing. I didn't know this, and this is also like, I mean, comedy rooms just sound terrible. I, I ever, ever comedy rooms just sound bad yeah i don't know why it's a requirement that everybody has to be mean to each other to write comedy i don't get it's like well the environment in the room like why just i think comedy people in general and i don't want to speak with too broad a brush but like if you look at comedians and you look at people who write comedy um there's this like big void inside them that is filled (laughs) with people's laughter and i think that they don't know how to really communicate or deal with their sort of emotions uh, and it's not to say that drama rooms can't be toxic as well there are many that have been. Yeah. but mm-hmm. this is all just a long way of saying that i just think it's interesting that in 2023 even in the current landscape where everyone knows that someone's going to go to hr and they're going to complain about what you're doing they're still doing it I, it's just crazy yeah. Why can't people do things alone, like podcasters, and just hate themselves? To themselves, and then podcasting externally. An industry that has famously never had any problems with nope. this sort of thing. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> racking my brain right now. No, everything's fine. Everything's fine in there. Let's not Google. Just don't type that into Google. But just, just I'm, I'm sure it's Google. I'm sure it's totally chill and fine. Well, um, Michael, thank you so much for coming to talk with us about school ties. This thank you for a... finding a way to not talk about this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, listen, we've become very good. This is at what we all wanted to do. <laughs> It's perfect. But um, where can people find you? Do you? If you want people to find you, where can they listen uh, to you? If books could kill and maintenance phase, you can, uh, I guess, Google to those. Let me just let me just say, if books could kill, like instantly, one of my favorite podcasts. I know hey. that like everybody says that, but I just am uh, overwhelmed at how how good it is. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's. A, I mean, uh, and and you're on Twitter, right? I mean, unfortunately, or fortunately. God, I gotta get off of there. Every every day, I'm like, why am I still on this indefensible? Phil, website? by the time this episode comes out, it may not exist. Anymore. It might not exist. That's a good dude. Point. I had a thing the other Blue day Sky. where like they had some sort of technical error and I couldn't log in. Yeah. And you know, other people like people have been like getting suspended and banned yeah. from Twitter for kind of arbitrary reasons. And I was like, oh, I hope it happened to me. Please <laughs> let there be some bullshit that elon latched onto that like i've broken the terms of service i want the the decision to be taken out of my hands and just like i'm not on there anymore but then it turned out to be some dumb error and then i'm fucking on there tweeting about the goddamn new york times op-ed page which is my entire personality at this point i mean listen it's a good personality if people are following you on twitter they should be you're you're saying lots of things that need to be said you're on blue sky as well right 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, I'm cool. skeeting. I'm also skeeting. People say that about me. People have been saying that about me for years. <laughs> I can't believe like skeet. that skeets are the thing that it's, I mean, fucking hell, man. What Just a world we live in. A thing, a word a that is going to become normal. A, a skeeter. I'm a skeeter. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we could do anything better than I'm a skeeter. So for that, I think that that's, that's how we should end this. But truly, thank you so much, Michael. This was wonderful. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.